We had a terrific discussion with the Canadian Urban Institute after some comments that Premier Wab Kanu made last week as it pertains to hybrid work, to remote work. He's not a huge fan of the hybrid setup and would prefer to see more public sector employees return to the core to support the core, to support downtown. What do you think? Are your kids getting squirrely? Scouts Canada has launched a kid-tastic activity generator to fight the midwinter blahs. For breakfast with the Bombers, we were joined by Big Stanley Bryant. And we asked you, inspired by Clay Young's toboggan run on Global News Morning on Monday at Kildonan Park, we wanted to know your moments of winter fun that stand out in time for you. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling. We are Mackling and McGarry, and this is the Tuesday, January 23rd podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. We have something we want to follow up with you in a moment as it pertains to something fun that we discussed last week as it pertains to the Stanley Cup. No, not that Stanley Cup. (laughs) But on the subject of hockey, Mr. Mackling, I'm curious to know how you felt last night when they pulled the goalie with what was on the line. Oh, that's interesting. Gary Jenkins, uh, one of our regular listeners, texts us every morning, exact same question. He goes, why pull the goalie? Because that's what you do when you're down two goals. You're trying to win the game. You're trying to even the game and send it to overtime. And I don't see the Winnipeg Jets being, and Rick Bonus being a type of team that goes, oh, we got this record on the line. The list of that record is coincidental, right? They're not chasing that record. If that record comes as they pursue and play the game the way they normally play, well and good. But they're certainly not going to alter their strategy and their game plan to ensure they tie a National Hockey League record. One that's fairly obscure on top of that. I just, they're not going to. They're not going to do that. Well, so the record was 35 games in a row of three goals, allowing the other team to score three goals or less. Correct. Or fewer. Correct. And it's held by the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, that's the modern record, modern day. So they would have tied that. I guess they would have tied that record last last night. Uh, and they were in a position to do that at 3-1. But when you're down two goals and you pull the goalie, that's just what you do. You're trying to force overtime. So... Anybody wringing their hands about that this morning? I hear where you're coming from, but it's just what you do, man. Okay, so the Jets lose 4-1. We're going to have the sounds of the game. But overall, and I think we sort of talked about this in the beginning, as long as if the Jets were to lose against the Boston Bruins, who are also amongst the top teams in the league, as long as they don't get clobbered. So 4-1 is a score that... If you're just looking at that and didn't watch a second of the game, you might think, well, that's not all that great. But it was a pretty close game through and through, right? Yeah, it was uh, very tight, in particular, the first two periods. Low event hockey, and we'll speak with Ross Levitan a little bit more about this. 635, we'll, we'll have your sounds of the game then, and we'll walk through and break down some of the things that went down last night. I think the Jets played a fairly perfect road game, to be honest with you. They didn't have a ton of shots, but neither did Boston through two periods, 21 shots overall a piece at the end of the game. So uh, I thought the Jets played very well in the third period. They put pedal to the metal. We've talked about their lack of a power play and their special teams. Their penalty kill was tremendous last night. Boston had three power play opportunities. They went over 
Jets killed off all three Bruins power play opportunities, but they had three power plays of their own that did not score. And ultimately the nail in the coffin was a short handed goal. And those ones really hurt when you're on the power play and the other team manages to score a goal. It was a little bit of a fluky goal too. And that one hurt big time, but uh, overall uh, the Jets were without two thirds of their top line. Gabe Velarde sick. Mark Shifley still injured. Kyle Connor, the only member of that top three that was in the lineup last night. So uh, no panic uh, in my world this morning. And one final question before we move on to the Stanley Cup. Um, I wasn't, I didn't turn on the game until I think the third period. I was watching something else, but I was following along. It, it, act, it looked like it was going to be like a gunslinger fest because didn't the Bruins score within like two minutes of yeah. the game starting? Yeah, it was 1-1. One, one. I don't have the game summary in front of me. It was 1-1, one, one, four and a half minutes in. Yeah. Five minutes in, the Jets answered right back after Boston scored early. So you're right. <laughs> you look at that and you go, oh boy, here we go. Going to be a run and gun, barn burner race to seven sort of game didn't materialize it was it was the game most people expected between two of the top defensive teams in the National Hockey League two of the best goalies in the game uh, yeah more of that please and thank you I'll take it all right so we're gonna do the sounds of the game at 635 we often do them at 615 but we want to uh, expand the di- the conversation a little bit at 635 and Ross Levitan in for sports and in for Jets at noon is going to join us as well to further that discussion but right now we want to follow up on how last week we discussed the Stanley quencher cup mug tumbler phenomenon. This morning, a story which highlights what some people are willing to do to capitalize on this craze. This is a story out of California. The audio is from ABC7 in Chicago. Police in Roseville arrested a woman after she was caught with a trunk full of Stanley Cups. According to the police, the 23-year-old woman stole the 65 Stanley Cups from a store just off Highway 65 this past Wednesday. The cups were valued at nearly $2,500. In their Facebook post, the Roseville police said that they, quote, strongly advise against turning to crime to fulfill your hydration habits. So authorities had a little bit of fun with this, posting a a photo. And you can go to globalnews.ca, by the way, one of our top trending stories at Global News. Authorities learned of the uh, alleged theft after after staff at a nearby store said that they, quote, saw a woman taking a shopping cart full of Stanley water bottles without paying for them. The suspect refused to stop for staff, stuffed her car with the stolen merchandise, police wrote in a press release. An officer spotted the suspect's vehicle, pulled her over, 23-year-old woman who was not named, arrested for grand theft. And you can see just what she did and how many cups she took. (laughs) I'm still giggling about to full, don't turn to crime to fulfill your hydration habits. Yeah, well, hey, uh, this is sort of the perfect follow-up to last week because, uh, you know, I I was sitting with some friends and one of them said, what is the deal with this Stanley phenomenon? I had no idea. And I can't, now that we've talked about it, I can't not see them. I see, I've seen a whole bunch of them just being carried in this building. And if I'm being honest, it doesn't seem like the most practical travel mug. Like, you've got a Yeti, but you leave that here, right? Yes. So that's a, a Yeti. You've got a tumbler with a lid on it. 
that you can pop the top off and refill for your water. But for like for like my purposes, uh, like I, I because I walk home, I I have been using the same water bottle for like ten years. It's a Contigo, but it's got a screw on lid and then a, a sort of a a flap to keep it sealed. So this is like a great travel bottle, but to carry around those those Stanleys, and given their their mighty size, they're quite a robust. <laughs> it's a robust mug. Uh, I don't know. Just well, I guess it looks pretty though. If you like it, I'm not knocking it. If you like it, great. Works for you. If your goal is to drink more water and it's helping you do that, hats off to you. And now before we get to the sounds of the game, Greg, we were talking about Janice Luke, city councilor, potentially looking to move to federal politics. Here's the take from one of our listeners. Uh, Janice Lukes was the best city councilor Fort Richmond ever had. And we were sad when she ran in Waverly West. She works around the clock for her constituents. And I will bet her current constituents nor her city hall duties will suffer one bit while she investigates the possibility of running for a conservative bid. She's dedicated beyond belief. She does not allow herself to sit in a cushy job, quote unquote. I don't know her personally, but watch the transformations with awe. So appreciate that perspective. And as I said, yeah, while you're pursuing this, I'll give you some leeway here. But what about once you've received that nomination and then are clearly in an election mode for another position at another level of government. 204-780-6868. What's your take? It was a matchup between two of the top teams in the National Hockey League. Boston Bruins, Winnipeg Jets at TD Garden in Boston. The Jets looking to extend several impressive streaks, including the possibility of tying a modern times league record for consecutive games giving up three or fewer goals. Winnipeg beat Boston 5-1. Back on December 22nd, the Bruins looking to even the two-game season series. How did it go? Jets, Bruins, these are your sounds of the game. Jets are flying from broadcast right to left. They're wearing white. Bruins in black. Teams come to center ice. Puck is dropped, and it's showtime from Boston, Massachusetts. Forward shot goes off a body, blocked in front by Nemestikov, but it goes right out in front again, and a shot they score. Morgan Geeky knocked a centering pass down off that shot on the rebound, and then it was a scramble in front. And Jacob Lauko will put it home, and it's 1-0 for the Bruins. 2-20 into this one. Winnipeg's out of their own zone. Domestic hop to the near side for Fetty. He'll get to center ice and dump it in. Rolled around to the far side. Came off a stick. Grabbed by Perfetti. Back to the line. DeMello shooting. He scores! Dylan DeMello walked into a one-timer. And beat Jeremy Swayman, and just like that, the Winnipeg Jets have come back to tie it. 15-44 to go in the first. And that's why there's no panic on the bench. Now for DeBrusque, across the line, off to the high slot, far side for Geeky, barging toward the net, never got a shot away, back on in front of shot, they score! Jake DeBrusque, Winnipeg on puck watching. And it's 3-1 Boston. That'll be a shorty for the Bruins. Pulled it off the wall, shot toward the net, stopped in front, rebound there by Connor. Grabbed again, and a redirect at the side of the net by Lowry. Stopped with a right pad of Swayman. Great chance by Winnipeg, and an equally great save by Jeremy Swayman. To the empty net, Marchand didn't shoot the puck, grabbed it again, and sweeps it inside the zone, and to the empty net, it goes. 4-1 Boston, that'll do it tonight, with under a minute to go in the third. So the Bruins... 
They have spe- special teams that are terrific, including their power play. The Jets were terrific killing penalties. Ultimately, the difference was that shorthanded goal by Jake DeBrusque in the third. Ross Levitan joins us in studio now. And uh, Ross, two strong teams going head-to-head. The first two periods looked like an ideal road game for the Jets. Low event hockey, even though they were down 2-1 going into that third period. The Jets were really pressuring... Uh, Probably the better part of that third period looked pretty good leading up to that clinching goal from DeBrusque, which was Hellebuck makes a nice poke check, and the the puck just kind of ends up in the wrong spot at the wrong time, as happens with a lot of goals. But that that wasn't a a finesse goal. That wasn't getting out work. That was just a bad bounce in a lot of cases. Yeah, it was, and and you look at it, just two guys kind of right by the puck, and neither of them could get a stick on it, and DeBrusque gets there first, and ultimately that's kind of the backbreaker, right? As as he goes to the net, yeah, it's a great poke check, and then, you know, you're you're hoping that maybe – the guy who's on the right here, I'm trying to see exactly. It's, uh, I believe, Adam Lowry on the back check, and he just can't get his stick to it. And it, credit to DeBras, puts it far side, just uh, you know, posting in on, on the glove side of Hellebuck. So credit to the Boston Bruins, man. That's that's a great team. They're the best home team in the National Hockey League. They've got the fewest regulation losses at on home ice, I should say. But to your point about the Jets pressing in the third, they had more than half their shots in the third period, 11 out of their 21 coming in the final frame. It's just they, they couldn't get anything going. Going on the power play and uh, had special teams right at the top of the list of, of keys to the game yesterday. And uh, I didn't realize it would just be a shorthanded goal that ultimately wins the game or puts it away as the third goal out of four and the fourth one being the empty netter. Um, I also I'm glad you, you made the point because I was going to preach it as well. For the fans who said, don't pull the goalie for the streak, no. You're going for the win. You're not going for the streak. So, unfortunate, but uh, Rick Bonus, we're going to hear from him again coming up in sports at 725. Um, not happy with this one. Not happy with the breakouts. Not happy with the puck control. So, now all of a sudden, look, two more games left before the All-Star game. Home and home against the Toronto Maple Leafs. What better way to get the the emotion and the vibe of the team up than having two solid efforts here to close it out? And, look, injuries aren't an excuse, but... Fellas, when you're there two-thirds of your top line and you're going up against a team as good as Boston, 6-0-3 in their last nine games as well, it, they were in tough going into this one. Now, the streaks, you mentioned the streak. There's a couple of streaks ended last night. 35 consecutive games, three or fewer goals against that. That's what they would have. They made it to, what, 34? Yes. And they were good, trying to get to 35. 13 games, <laughs> two or fewer goals against, and then five straight wins on the road. So with all these streaks out, do the players even pay attention to that stuff? I doubt it. I think that that's uh, that's something that it's it's a result of what you do shift in and shift out. I think they're more concerned about every shift leaving the next guy in a better position than when they came on the ice. I think that these are, are nice feathers in your cap and probably something where after the season when they're on the golf course, they'll be like, wow, that was that was wild. We went two months without allowing more than three goals. But when they're in it right now, I think you'd live and die by every shift, and these are just the results of those shifts going well. So I think when you take a step back, you can, but these guys are playing every other day. And in, in a case during this run, which almost makes it more impressive, 10 games in 17 days, like they were playing a lot of hockey. They were uh, they were contributing and getting a lot of great uh, performances all up and down the lineup. But uh, to answer your question, no, I I don't think the players are paying attention to that. All right, Ross Levitan, he's going to have much more on the Jets' coverage at 25 after the hour. And, of course, Jets at noon with Jim Toth and Ross Levitan in for Cameron Poitras today. And in a moment, we switch gears. We have a concert announcement at 8.05. 
and we have tickets to give away for that. We'll tell you how you can win those tickets. Before that, Greg, we're getting a heads up on something that's happening at the pumps. Several of you texting in at 780-6868. Gas prices on the rise. 122.9 from one of our listeners. Did you say 129.9 from another listener, Brett? Yeah, I was looking at winnipegasprices.com. We got a couple of stations listed at $1.29. So we'll keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, we'll take a peek at your forecast. And then we want to have some fun outside in the winter, like the Clayman did. We'll explain and share that next on the start. It is Mackling and McGarry. We want to talk some winter fun. And this is partly inspired by Global News Morning's Clay Young. We tried to have him on yesterday at 8.05. He was at Kildonan Park, but his phone died in the cold because cell phones, with the, so, many, so many of them have the glass back, and they're terrible in the winter. So we had him on for approximately three seconds, and his phone went kaput. But I did see and was able to harness... This piece of audio as he went down the toboggan slide at the park. And I'm being honest, I haven't done this in years. And this is a flying saucer or something. Okay. Yay! <laughs> Hi, how are you? As he's sliding on the ice. <laughs> well, folks, <laughs> that's like uh, that's like being at the, the Red River X. If you haven't tried this... Like I, like me, in years, should come down here. Do you give lessons? <laughs> Tomorrow lessons, no. Unfortunately, we don't. We don't offer that service. Oh, okay. Anyway, Gabby, come on down here right after nine o'clock. Come on down on this little thing. It's it's a hoot. It's an absolute gas. Huh. Well, that's an adrenaline rush. <laughs> <laughs> Do you give toboggan lessons? No, you just get on it and you go. That's how it works. So with that in mind, and with what we're doing at 835 in mind, we got a new, great news release yesterday from Scouts Canada asking, are your kids getting squirrely? Because they've come up with a kid-tastic activity generator to fight the midwinter blahs. But that just got us thinking about not... Like, we don't want to ask you, what's your favorite winter outdoor activity? We want to ask you, what is a specific moment in time that stands out for you, whether it's something you think back to from when you were a kid, or maybe it's something more recent, like Clay just had his, that experience was yesterday morning. 204-780-6868. Doesn't even have to be like you were outside playing. It could be you just were outside enjoying winter and something cool happened. 204-780-6868. So, uh, Sarah McCarthy, why don't we start with you? Yes, so mine also has to do with tobogganing, but this very specific memory uh, grew up right down the street from this big, huge, perfect hill for tobogganing at uh, my elementary school at the time. And uh, so we just, all the time, we would gather up the sleds, the crazy carpets, the flying saucer, the traditional toboggans, and we'd walk down the street and uh, go sledding. But this one time, my dad thought it would be fun to bring the cam recorder with him, and we did it like a Olympic sport essentially like he commentated like on the tape like oh and here comes Sarah down the hill oh she's beating her sister Michaela she's outpacing her so it's really funny I gotta go back and find those tapes but um and like there's ways you can put those tapes onto DVDs like discs now so uh that was just a really 
fun, carefree moment that's in neat. time for me. That's cool. Yeah. From dad. Oh, that's <laughs> a great move from dad. Mm-hmm. Producer Jeff Forte, what about you, sir? Well, actually, speaking of scouts, uh, back when I was like nine-ish around there, I was in Cub Scouts, and we'd do a winter camp, and you'd go to this place, and uh, there'd be cabins, and you'd stay with your friends. My, my dad was a leader, so he was uh, in the cottage with me. So you'd have the leaders in there. And uh, I remember my friend, well, like, we'd go, um, what's it called, uh, fishing and uh, ice fishing, and we'd do all that. But uh, my buddy, he, he, he ripped his, his uh, what's it called, uh, your um, ski pants. Ripped his ski pants. Mm. So we had to tape his, right in the crotch. So we had to tape his crotch <laughs> with uh, duct tape. So the whole time we were there, we were calling him Silver Crotch. <laughs> And then, poor kid. <laughs> and then I remember he, he got into a little bit of a scrap with a, another kid in the, in what the, was the his cabin. Nickname? Oh, he didn't have a nickname for, for the other kid. The other kid's name was Christian. But uh, my buddy Alex went and, uh, you know, they got into a bit of a scrap. So we went and took all of his clothes and was throwing his clothes out into the snow. Oh it, it looked like an old couple arguing and... <laughs> You know, where the wife is taking the man's clothes and throwing them outside. Yeah. That's exactly what it looked like. So that was winter camp for me. Oh my God. Silver winter crotch. camp. The silver legend crotch. of silver <laughs> crotch. Oh, that's so good. Ross, Levitan. One place I love to be in the winter, the outdoor rink. I mean, come on. It's such a classic Canadian place to be. So, I mean, too many memories to name. You know, sticks in the middle on a cold night and, and away you go. You're from Ottawa, Rideau Canal. Is that a thing? Was that a thing growing up for you? Uh, yeah, actually, funny enough, my high school was on the Rideau Canal, so the odd time we we'd either jump out for Sorry gym now? class. Yeah, yeah, right across from City Hall. Liz, shout out Lizger. Um, but yeah, it was right on there. So I take the bus from from my place to the mall, strap my skates on, and then it'd be about a ten minute skate to to get to high school. Oh, wow! Like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Lucky you. I mean, you could only do it usually for like the first couple and the last couple of weeks. It gets pretty cold and usually you're you're bundled up putting an extra layer of socks and everything. So I wouldn't do that for a 10 minute skate. But yeah, it's it was definitely some great memories out there. What about you, McGarry? Well, for me, it uh, the the one there one that stands out for me was grade six. Our teacher, Monsieur Bulot, I believe this was in in February, if I'm not mistaken. But it had I think it was kind of a hard winter, but there was a day that was Still cold, but a bit milder, and he could tell we were getting squirrely, and uh, he decided, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the courtyard, and we're going to split into teams and build Quincy's. So that's the snow shelter where you just make a big pile of snow and then let it sit, and then eventually you can sort of hollow it out so that it becomes a shelter. So you spend a couple hours building them, and then we had to let them sit for a couple hours, and then we went back out and hollowed them all out, and... Uh, it didn't take us long. So it took hours to build these things, and it took us seconds to smash them because war eventually started. And I remember <laughs> climbing up on top of one of them, and I don't really know what I expected to accomplish by doing this. Maybe I just wanted to test its structural integrity. It did not hold because I went straight <laughs> through, face planted. God, my teacher was mad. Monsieur Bilodeau, I'm sorry. He tried to... Have a good day with us, and we ruined it. Like a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner, hours to prepare, moments to destroy. (laughs) So what is your winter fun moment?
Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. Last Tuesday, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers announced they had agreed to terms on a one-year extension with a future Hall of Famer. Our guest this morning on Breakfast with the Bombers is entering his ninth season with the Blue Bombers and 14th in the Canadian Football League. He is the most decorated offensive lineman in Canadian Football League history, four-time winner of the CFL Most Outstanding Offensive Lineman Award, and a seven-time CFL All-Star. Let's head to North Carolina and say good morning and congratulations to left tackle Stanley Bryan. Good morning, Stanley. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We're, do- we're doing really well. Brett and I have been trying to work on our deepest voice and antip- anticipation of your visit the morning, this morning, big Stan. <laughs> so Brett said yesterday, no, oh, <laughs> maybe the deepest voice we'll ever have on this show. Hey, what does the off season look like for you? Um, right now, just, just still just relaxing right now at the moment. Uh, we'll get back into working out next week. Um, preparing for the season, uh, get some traveling in and basically that's it until the season starts. Um, I don't do really much. Just, I guess I spend time with the family, travel and, and work out. That's about it. Now the left tackle position, Stanley, that's what's known as, as the, for the people like me who aren't so super into the sports, but that's the blind side. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. That's, that's the blind side. That's, that's the position that most people say that's, that's very important. Uh, but I think the game has grown so much now that, I mean, you can say either the the left tackle or right tackle. I mean, they're, they're kind of even at this point. But uh, some people still say the left tackle is the most important. So is is does, is that position, though, a little bit different than the rest of the offensive line? And if so, can you explain why? Uh, yes, it's different. I mean, man, because, you know, you're, you're protecting the quarterback blind side. You know, I mean, you, you have the position where – you can't get beat. You don't want to get beat quickly because, I mean, a lot of bad things can happen because a quarterback is, is most of the time looking the opposite way and, and can't really tell what's, what's coming behind him. So it's best that, I mean, you try your best to, to protect by any and all costs. If they have to go to holding, scratching, whatever you need to do to hold that guy off if you happen to get beat uh, to stop him, uh, prevent him from getting to the quarterback because the worst blocks, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the worst hits are the ones that the quarterback don't see. So, um, it's one of those jobs that you have to be locked in each and every play. How's the weather been? You're part of the United States so far this winter, Stan? Uh, so far, it hasn't been too bad. I mean, we had a couple cold days this past weekend. Um, but in Celsius, I'll say it's been probably around 10, 12, mostly since I've been home. So it's been fine. I mean, it's sunny. And some days it's a little cloudy, but it hasn't been in the negatives at all here. <laughs> no snow days yet. No, no, no snow days in North Carolina. If any snow days in North Carolina, that means the entire city shuts down. So uh, we're going to stay away from that. So, you know, we make a lot of the weather here in Winnipeg. And, and of course, uh, the National Football League, we've seen some extreme weather in some of the playoff games. Of Buffalo, in particular, all that snow. And Kansas City, I think it was the fourth coldest game ever. Do you, do you get a little bit of a chuckle when you hear the conversation around those games? Do you, do you want to... You know, give them a some of these guys a call and go. Hey, you really want to get tested? Come up to Canada. Exactly, uh, it's, it's laughable because people seem to think that that's cold. I mean, I've been in Canada all these years and experienced a lot of games in the cold and, and the snow games, which are fun games, but it's just just super cold. But I love it. Um, I mean, it's an advantage for an offensive lineman like myself because of 
specific conditions and, and certain guys you can look in their eyes and tell they don't want to be out there playing in the cold. So I love it. Uh, it was great to see the NFL uh, kind of embracing it and, and understanding how things work uh, as far as like footwear, um, guys keeping their feet warm, their hands warm, and being able to go out there and play in that condition. Did you uh, shoot Zach a text? Did you did you see him up in the in the box with uh, with Jason Kelsey and uh, that Taylor Swift person? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did see him up there, and I and I texted him. I, I was wondering why he didn't um, take me along with him, but I understand. I let him have his moment. <laughs> now, Stanley, as we approach free agency, we're curious to know how much conversation is there between current teammates about the moves being made it, to encourage one another to stick around? Um, I could say it's a few conversations. Um, but, I mean, you can you can say what you want to guys, but, I mean, at the end of the day, guys still have to make um, their decisions on their future and how they how they see things. I mean, some guys, you know, been in the league for a while. They have families, grown families. Um, you have young guys that's, that want to get an opportunity to play and things like that. So a lot of things played uh, into to guys' mind phrases, minds when it's when it's time to make a decision. Because like I said, everyone's situation is different, and you never know exactly what guys are looking for. Uh, but you know, I always hope that we can get everyone back. I know that's not possible, but most maybe we can get most of the guys back. So we'll see how things go in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I know a lot of you guys are making some sacrifices in terms of you know, you know the, the the dollars and cents that you're signing for uh, when you're renewing, and even Kenny Lawler restructuring his contract in order to to make some of those moves happen. So uh, we know the team atmosphere and the family atmosphere that's been created here, and that and that culture. We use that word a lot, a lot but we really want to shift gears here before we let you go, Stanley. We like to ask at least one food-oriented question in these conversations. What's your favorite off-season meal? Walk us through, like, uh, you're having company at the Bryant household. But what are you cooking up? Oh, my goodness. What am I cooking up? You mean what am I ordering, right? Uh, well, I, I don't know. There, there, there's no <laughs> chef skills in... in, in oh, <laughs> uh, oh, that's a great question. Um, ooh. Well, like I said, I wouldn't be cooking, but I mean, if I did decide to cook, it would be a, a nice little shrimp alfredo um, with some garlic bread, um, asparagus on the side, something simple, nothing too 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 hard to do. So that's a little shrimp alfredo, garlic bread, and asparagus. That passes. I think that's acceptable, yeah. Brett. Yeah, works for me, and it's shrimp. That's right up your alley, Mackling. Oh uh, yeah, the shrimp is your go-to uh, protein, Stanley. Like if you had to pick. Between one or the other, is that your go-to? Is that your favorite? Are you like, if I see shrimp on the specials menu at the restaurant, that's that go on that route almost guaranteed. Uh, yeah, that, that that'll be an appetizer for me. I'll, I'll probably go steak after that. Steak, medium rare, rare. How do you take it? Uh, yeah, no, no, I'm not a guy, the medium rare guy. A lot of a lot of guys like Patty. He's trying to get me to uh to the medium rare rare. I can't get to that. I'm gonna stick with the. Uh, uh, medium well, medium, medium well. Oh boy! Well, medium, okay, medium. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm getting to medium. All right. Every now and then, but I'm I'm more a medium well, medium guy. Up in there. Well, hey, good for you for planting your flag and sticking with that because <laughs> you know a lot of people that that can that can earn you some mockery from from certain parts uh, from the 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 steak snobs. You're like, come on, you're not enjoying the flavor. If that's what you like, that's what you like. Good for you. 
And who's going to argue with a uh, guy your size? Black, though. Too much blood. I can't really, I can't really do it. I got, I can't really see it. I just gotta, you know, just need like a little bit of blood. I can see it in the spine. That's just for my, that's for me. That's okay. You're off the hook. Like Brett said, we're not arguing with you, regardless of the fact that you're two thousand miles away. We're not arguing with you. <laughs> Stanley Bryant, left tackle, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, joining us live on 680 CJOB for breakfast with the Bombers. Stanley, thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure to visit with you, sir. All right. Thanks for having me on. You guys have a good day. Stanley Bryant with uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. One of our listeners just texted in. My nephew works at a golf course in North Carolina. Last night they had to tarp all the greens because of the weather. It's the first time ever. If they hadn't, it would have cost about $2 million in damage. Oh, my goodness. There you go. Okay. About a specific moment in time involving outdoor winter fun. So not just the activities that you enjoy in a general sense. But something specific, whether it was when you were a kid, whether it just happened to you, doesn't matter. Tell us a story for a chance to win. And Uncle Tim, as he likes to do, has once again gone deep into the archives. It's a lifetime ago, more than a lifetime ago for me. And I was just telling my kids the other day about playing hockey outdoors. You know, I don't think I ever played in an indoor arena until I was probably 10 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those games were played as a part of winter carnivals that took place around the city. You would go in these tournaments and you would spend the whole weekend at the different community centers playing games, three, four, five games in a weekend outdoors. And Uncle Tim goes to a very specific memory in February of 1967. In those days, all the boys played hockey on a team at a club or club. Our club was East End, home of the East End Barons. The club, like all community clubs in those days, was operated by the moms and dads. Every February, there was a winter carnival, and every carnival had the required carnival hockey tournament. The dads took turns flooding the ice each night so the kids had perfect ice the next day. They also painted the lines on the ice. In February of 67, for the Winter Carnival Tournament, we hosted the Centennial Hockey Tournament to celebrate Canada's centennial. The ice was perfect, and the dads painted the Centennial uh, logo at center ice. The anthem was played outdoors at the beginning of the tournament, being on the ice at the start of the game on that rock-hard, diamond-hard ice to start. That carnival brings back warm memories from the winter cold. That is a detailed picture you just painted, Uncle Tim. Thank you for that. And what's, and then what's funny is uh, it's funny how the neighborhood, uh, you know, you get your hackles up. Yeah. You mentioned neighborhoods. So because I, I said to him, East End, as in Transcona, because there's an East End club on Pandora, sure. and he says, "Oh no, bite your tongue." <laughs> East End Community Club was on Larson. Terry Sawchuk played there growing up on Jameson. The Transconan Community Club was on Nairn, uh, Regent, on the way to the Starlight Drive-In. And we played against Chalmers, Transcona, Calvin, who had beautiful green and white uniforms, Melrose, Bronx Park, East Elmwood, North Kildonan, West Kildonan, Cougars, and East St. Paul. 
It was uh, rural and out in the sticks. The East End Community Club was turned into a senior citizen's home once upon a day when the entire community club system changed. And then Uncle Tim adds, I forgot, Winakwa, where Butch Goring played. Yeah, the legendary Butch Goring. Uh, you know, those memories, if you played the outdoor hockey and you did sort of that carnival circuit, it was it was really neat. Because, of course, you had the different activities going on. The one at Isaac Brock, I will never forget, we used to have, I think it was on the Clifton Ice. We would set up, Mr. Roy would set up this thing where he had a, like a shooter tutor, some people might know it as. Basically, it was a piece of card or uh, plywood painted with a goalie on it with three or four different holes in it. Mm-hmm. And you would shoot from the opposite blue line and it would cost you, say, a quarter to shoot. But if you made certain hole, like made it into certain uh, slots or holes on the board, then you might win some money back, or you might win a free play. All these, you stand there and play that for hours and hours and hours. And you know, once again, like Uncle Tim said, all made possible by volunteer after volunteer spending their time to make sure that everything was exactly the way it ought to be. Socials, the ice. Making sure it was flooded. Boy, those are those are some great memories. We're talking about specific moments of winter fun. Specific memories. We're asking you to share those. And it kind of loosely ties in with what we're about to discuss here. Because we got this news release yesterday that immediately... Grabbed our attention. Kids getting squirrely? Scouts Canada steps up with a kid-tastic activity generator to fight bleak midwinter blahs. And then release goes on to say, feeling the bleak midwinter bummers? Scouts Canada, the country's leading co-ed youth organization, is here to help kids kick their post-holiday blah syndrome. Now that the festivities of the season are over and kids are back at school and their ho-hum routines... Scouts Canada has created the Kid-tastic Activity Generator as a public service to help parents and kids quell that prolific post-holiday malaise. Well, let's find out a little bit more, shall we? Mike Eibel is parent, scouter, and part of Scouts Canada staff. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you this morning? We're doing well. So how would you define what that means to be a squirrely kid? A squirrel. Well, to be a squirrely kid is actually to be a really fun kid. It's best to be squirrely outdoors and with a lot of fun activities uh, headed your way. All right, then. So this is a time of year, I guess, where I mean, it's been kind of a weird winter here in in Winnipeg with the mild weather that we experienced in December. So I, I suspect that for many of us, including kids, maybe the cabin fever isn't so bad, but it's still winter. And we still got a long way to go Absolutely. before we're out of it. And it, it's it's tough to, I think it can be tough, especially for kids to, you know, to avoid feeling cooped up. Absolutely. Yeah. Feeling cooped up inside or getting back to the school routine after, you know, a post-holiday break uh, and, and just feeling that stiflingness that they just don't want to uh, or playing maybe too many video games right now uh, and just be a little bit blah. Uh, we do see that that, you know, mental health in kids does uh, does get affected this time of year, much like adults. I mean, you talked about the price of gas and that makes people a little bit uh, uh, maybe blah. Uh, but we've got a great opportunity. We've got kind of a plug and play uh, 
uh, activity generator where you kind of tell a little bit of who you are and what you think you want to, or categories of what you want to do, and then boop, 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 it spits out a really cool activity that you can do with your kids. Now, some of those activities are indoor activities, but of course, a lot of them, my favorite ones personally, are all outside. Uh, you know, with snow coming, uh, uh, it's definitely a great time to get outside, build an ice castle, uh, or do some you know amazing, uh, amazing fun activities with your kids. All right, so let's uh, virtually uh, drop some information into this generator and and kind of give us an idea of something very specific, maybe one specific example of what it's asking, some of the questions that you answer, and then one of the answers that the generator, the activity generator might provide. So the questions aren't actually difficult. Um, how old are you? Uh, and you know, if you're looking for maybe a craft or if you're looking for uh, an outdoor or more physical activity based, and then we've got a few pre-populated activities that kind of spit out. I mean, in scouting, we're all about age, um, uh, age-specific kind of programs and activities. So this is kind of an extension of that. Um, like I said, the ice castle is my favorite, but building anything outside, uh, whether it's a Quincy, which is simply just a big lump of snow, um, and then you kind of let it center uh, a little bit and dig it out to kind of dig your own snow cave, um, or if something like an ice castle where you're constructing walls or towers, my personal favorite is actually to put water and food coloring in a cookie sheet leave it out overnight, and that makes a beautiful piece of stained glass that you could kind of make a cathedral out of snow if you'd like to. Oh, that sounds fun. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned a Quincy because that was one of the things, one of the winter memories that I was sharing earlier as I remember in grade six, how we uh, spent the whole day building them and then we spent about 30 seconds destroying them, uh, much to the chagrin <laughs> of my teacher. Uh, and he, God, he was mad at us at a cold Regent Park. But the I like uh, also how you've broken these down because in some of the, one of the categories on this activity generator, the kidtastic activity generator at scouts.ca is winter survival. So, and then like, that's such a big component of, of what the scouts are all about, right? It's not just like finding ways to occupy the kids' time, but it's about providing education as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. In scouting, we love we love that we can use the outdoors and all of these great, amazing adventures that we go on. But at the heart of it all, what we're actually doing is providing life skills. We're providing resiliency and resolve and confidence to kids. Every time they go to do something, you know, maybe it's not perfect the first time, but you know what? We can strive to do better the next time. And that confidence boost of doing it and making it and getting it right is absolutely something at the heart of our scouting program. Whether you're five years old or 20 years old or all or any of the programs that we have in between that's kind of at the heart of it is building those building those those great life skills on the backs of some great fun adventures and and making you know friends along the way one of my great winter memories involves going tobogganing with with my uh beaver troop back in the day this goes back a long time almost 50 years now but the point is scouts has for a long time been that been that salvation for kids, that opportunity to do things that you might otherwise not get to do. How are your numbers, Mike, in terms of people getting involved in scouts? And is, you know, is there a reason why they might not be what they were once upon a time? Well, I think scouting now is always a good time to join scouting. And we've got groups, you know, we're literally right across the country uh, in almost every nook and hamlet uh, uh, or town, city, urban center, rural 
everywhere across the country. And it's not really necessarily about the size of the group, but definitely about the adventures and the fun and the new friends that you that you make with things. Um, and we're not a, we're not an organization that's going away anytime soon. Uh, we're very much a, a staple to uh, uh, to what kids need nowadays. And we've adapted throughout the years to provide these awesome experiences that are grounded in the experiences of youth. And in scouting, you know, there may be other organizations out there that tend to say no, right? Kids hear no a lot, whether it's no from a teacher or no from a parent. In scouting, what we try to do is center everything with yes. Yes, let's empower kids to do what they want and we'll pivot and try our hardest to make sure that their wildest dreams and adventures come to life in, in, in the program. And a lot of this activity generator, at the, uh, I mean, the easiest way to get to it is scouts.ca slash kidtastic. Um, and a lot of those activities do exactly that. It's when kids want to do something, we can say yes to them. And these activities are an amazing resource for parents to connect back in and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And we feel that we can, you know, let's do this swirling snow globe uh, activity. And, uh, uh, you know, it might be 10 minutes or it might be an hour, might be the entire day. Well, what is, and then looking at, before we let you go here, Mike, one of the activities I have to ask you about is called the ooey gooey oobleck. What is this? <laughs> That's kind of how you flex those STEM skills, right? The science, technology, engineering, math. It's kind of a science project. Now, this is an indoor indoor project, so not all of the winter activities need to be done outdoors. Um, and essentially, it's using shaving cream and cornstarch with a little bit of food coloring. And it makes this really cool substance that's really fun to play with. It's a lot of fine motor skills as they're playing with the oobleck. Uh, but it's also, you know, as you smack it, you can kind of see it goes hard. Or if you slowly penetrate into the oobleck, it's kind of sticky and gooey and it's a really fun substance to learn a bit about physics and a little bit about some crafting uh, you can even add glitter if you want though not in my house <laughs> that stuff goes everywhere i was thinking we should have been better prepared and had this stuff in the studio this morning we <laughs> made some of this stuff mike this is this is fascinating one more time the website kid scouts.ca slash kidtastic all right, Mike Eibel is a parent, he's a scouter, and with Scouts Canada joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mike, this is a real treat. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. That sounds, this is a great, this is great because there, there are some things that are just f- super fun, but there, there's a way that you can learn how to build your own snowshoes or build yourself a winter survival kit. So yeah, like this is uh, fun, but in many cases, like really practical stuff that I wish I, like, I have no idea how to make my own snowshoes. That seems like something you might need to know, depending where you're hanging out on the weekend or if you go on a winter trip. Yeah. I want to hear from other parents. Uh, Mine are old enough now where they, you know, they're busy with work and and hopefully with schoolwork. They tell me they're busy with schoolwork. But in terms of younger kids and with the pandemic and just I think we've gotten out of the habit of joining these different activities. Not everyone, but enough people. And back in our day, Brett, there weren't a lot of options at home. I remember my mom looking at me and going, have you got homework tonight? Nope. What are you doing? I'm just going to watch a little TV. Walk over, turn it off. Get your skates, get your stick, get over to the club. And I get kicked out of the house to go and do something. I don't know if we're doing that anymore. Be curious to know. 204-780-6868. Are you kicking your kids out of the house to just go and play a little bit?
It is Mackling and McGarry. We have tickets to give away for the Fab Four. Just announced this morning, coming to Club Region Event Center, June 7th. And we're asking you about fun, the super fun, happy times you've had outside in the winter. And looking for a specific example and not just sort of a generalized uh, activity that you enjoy. One of our runners up here, Greg, is Andrew. Paints a great picture here. We were university students and wanted to go tobogganing, but we didn't have any sleds. So we put out the word we were going, quote unquote, stuffing at Garbage Hill. Bring whatever stuff you could use to slide down a hill with. I picked up a six foot piece of sono tube. That's what you use in construction to make a form, say for concrete. You know, you drill it in the ground, fill it with concrete. Uh, uh, Andrew found it at a construction site, garbage pile. It was one of the best items brought. We folded up the front end and straddled it. We could load five people on it, inevitably losing almost everyone before getting to the bottom. And then we had someone with a great idea. What about crawling inside and rolling down the (laughs) hill inside the sauna tube? All I can say is if phones and YouTube fails were a thing back then, this would still be playing. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'd like to. Be, I'd be curious to know if the person who decided to crawl in there and roll down the hill was a little sick at the end of that. But uh, and this once again an impossible task today, choosing a winner. But there can be only one. Peter says, "How about a good old fashioned snowball fight?" Years ago, when I was twenty, I was traveling in Europe. My Canuck travel companion and I challenged a bunch of Aussies to a snowball fight. Yes. When we were in the Swiss Alps, what an incredible place to have a snowball fight. They had, the, they had the high ground, so we stormed their position. Underestimating how prepared they were, they unleashed a barrage of snowballs, and we had to retreat. Running down the steep slope, I tripped and flipped right over, landing upright without missing a stride, and kept running down the slope. It must have been quite the spectacle, and this predates cell phone cameras, so... I remain a legend in my own mind. Uh, Then I channeled some Star Wars to Peter. I said, I have the high ground. It's like Anakin. We'll be one to Anakin. I have the high ground, Anakin. Don't try it. And Peter says, Prairie and Canuck pride on the line. Never surrender. (laughs) In the meantime, I wonder if those Aussies were uh, chugging on some VB long necks. In the meantime, Peter, you win. Congratulations. Enjoy the Fab Four. Greg, what's coming up in sports? Sounds like they didn't win in the end, but, you know, let us know, Peter. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb, once again, I got to be honest, that was just sort of a habit. I was going to say, McNabb's off today. No, she's not. (laughs) She's not with the show anymore. She's here. I saw her. Her desk is right by mine. (laughs) She is now the executive producer for 680 CJOB. Uh, It means no longer a co-host of The Start. And uh, habits die hard, I guess. Uh, Hal Anderson, though, he is going to join us in our next segment to tell you what's coming up on Connecting Winnipeg. But right now, on Friday, Premier Wab Canoe addressed business owners who set up shop in downtown Winnipeg and shared his government's plans to revitalize the area. Our future success as a provincial economy is going to be tied very strongly to how well and how healthy Winnipeg's downtown is. Along with reiterating previous promises to create more social housing, Canoe suggesting his government may require some public employees to return to the office in order to improve workplace cultures for frontline staff. 
That's the voice of Global News reporter Catherine Dorney. And downtowns across North America are dealing with similar circumstances. And I know we don't necessarily, misery does love company, but does that change our circumstance in Winnipeg? No, it doesn't. Fewer workers, more crime, and an increase in homelessness amongst the issues we want to discuss with our next guest. Mary Rowe is president and CEO of the Canadian Urban Institute. Mary, thank you so much for this time this morning. Well, I'm delighted to talk with you, and I hear you're having a balmy day there. It's not that cold. I'm in Ottawa where it's freezing. Oh, Oh, well, thank you. That makes us feel somewhat better. And that whole idea of misery-loving company, it makes you feel better for a bit, but doesn't change your own circumstance. And maybe let's use it as a jumping-off point. It's it's clear Winnipeg, not alone in the circumstances it's downtown, finds itself in. Mm -hmm. Is it time to realize that this is a new starting point for the geographic hearts of many cities post pandemic as opposed to pining for the way things used to be yeah probably i mean this is something that we've been working with downtowns across the country including yours uh, under the leadership of kate fence who's fabulous by the way and uh, she's been regularly inserting what the winnipeg experience is in the national discussion because we're having it in every city at every scale even small communities are going through this uh i think though we've got to keep a couple of things in mind first of all you know, uh, urban environments go through transitions all the time. And downtowns and central business districts are actually, the central business district is a fairly new, it, relatively speaking, phenomenon. It's like 60 years old since we've been putting businesses and commercial uh, life in downtowns. Prior to that, there were all sorts of other kinds of activities that were downtown. And you didn't go necessarily downtown to work. You went downtown to have an experience, meet people that weren't, weren't like you, do something that you couldn't do in where you lived. So I think this kind of idea of constant uh, reimagining, revitalizing is just part of urban life and the urban fabric. And so what we need to do is be open to that. What's important, though, is that we have these remarkable assets in downtowns across the country, including in Winnipeg. And they, some of them will need to be adapted into different kinds of uses. And that's what your premier is getting at. He's suggesting let's be imaginative and creative and, and think together about how we repurpose some of these spaces. But the only way you can do that is if you actually have people engaged in coming and being in them. And so I think we, Canada particularly, you know, we're, we have the, the highest rates of uh, people working from home in, in the Western world. And, the, and largely because of, the, I think, the length of the uh, lockdowns and the patterns that people adopted. And so a lot of that's being rethought. And I was very interested in the arguments the Premier made around basically fairness and equity. If you've got essential workers that have to show up and have to be physically present there, then how do how can they be supervised and managed by folks that aren't and who are sitting at the kitchen table? So this, there are lots of layers of this conversation, uh, but it's also just a tremendous opportunity to rethink and readapt and do things a little differently. Well, one of the things he also addressed was his, you know, he he's not a big fan of hybrid work arrangements and he would like to see more public sector workers uh, returning to Winnipeg's core with greater frequency. Uh, but then, you know, some of the reaction on social media was uh, unhappy workers are not productive workers. So when you've got this remote work situation, which I think we can all agree, uh, like I, I'm stunned. I don't think this was something we could have imagined ever would have happened and then the pandemic mm-hmm. forced the hand and oh look at that we we can actually do this so this remote work uh, all or part of the time is something that workers like some of them love it so how are employers supposed to approach this newfound approach to work 
Well, you know, I think part of what we need to remind ourselves is we need flexibility. So if you've got a kid that's sick or you've got an elder parent that you're caring for, you've got other sign, some kind of constraint that would make it much more feasible for you to be working from your home environment, then that's one thing. It's quite another, though, to to negate the benefits of collective problem solving, of the kind of interactions that you have with people when you're working in a in an environment where you're bumping into folks that are colleagues or not colleagues, maybe. Maybe they're people that work in quite different sectors, but you benefit from the adjacency of being next to them. And don't forget all those businesses that have grown up in that and benefited from that, what is called an aggregation of people. So I think flexibility is one thing and and adapting work styles for personal circumstances is one thing. But I think there's the other piece of it, very hard to measure, is that, and some workers would say, look, I am more productive at home. That may be true for them, but these are very individual cases. Generally, work is a collective experience with lots of course correction, lots of interaction, lots of mentoring, lots of benefits of actually being exposed to people that think and do things differently than you do. And it's going to take time for that to sort of surface and for people to say, oh, wow, I can see the deficits I'm experiencing here because I don't have access to those colleagues or I don't have access to my supervisor or all these kinds of other factors. So I think time will tell. But I also think we need to think of downtowns as places. You know, they are dynamic places where people come and interact differently than in other parts of the city. And the question for us would be maybe the central business district is going to get replaced with some other kind of uh, uh, coalescing factor. Maybe it's the central social district. Maybe it's an innovation district. Maybe it's a recreational district. And a lot of what downtowns are talking about across North America is repurposing some of these assets to introduce different kinds of uses so that you would come downtown, maybe not as frequently, not on the same routine that you once did, and that you might come down to have a collaboration experience or a recreational experience or an educational experience. Uh, and so I think it's just being open to those options. So I think you've got a whole bunch of things being talked about at once. Uh, in terms of individual workers and what they prefer, but you've also got, as stewards of a place, you need to think about how you repurpose those buildings and repurpose the opportunity to have that kind of collective experience. Yeah, I can't uh, disagree on very much of anything you said in the last couple of minutes here. Mary Rowe, Mary Rowe, our guest president and CEO of Canadian Urban Institute joining us to talk about the future of downtowns, not just in Winnipeg, but around the globe and and particularly in North America. And of course, right here in Canada, we've seen retail office vacancies uh, increase, which means fewer. We know it's fewer people downtown. You mentioned on that regular basis. And there have been so many businesses in downtowns that have been built around a dependable pool of customers. Monday through Friday, at the very least. So what do we do with those spaces if there are fewer workers, fewer office buildings, or fewer floors of office space required? And then those retail locations that have grown up around those office spaces that unfortunately are finding it difficult to survive. Yeah. Well, you know, it was always a bit tough, I think, for retailers that were in a sort of, they had to get a seven-day return on a five-day week, you know, because there wasn't much happening on the weekend. That was already a vulnerability for these areas. When you have a use that's confined by a time or a routine, it diminishes the capacity of that business to really thrive. So they were already vulnerable if you didn't have anybody cruising through on a Saturday or Sunday. Now they've got to do it on a three or three and a half day model where the only revenue they're getting is in those three and a half days. And so I think we're now looking for really imaginative models around collaborative retail. Uh, I think commercial real estate owners and landlords are starting to think more, more thoughtfully themselves about curating the retail because they want their workers back. And so they then may have to engage more directly in curating the kind of retail that their workers want. 
And then I think we're going to see more specialization uh, so that there will be attractions that are in those spaces. Remember, downtown commercial space is unique in that it's big, big floor plates, lots of open kind of space. And it's not always downtown. It can be, well, I shouldn't say it's not always downtown. These commercial districts exist in many downtowns. Some of our larger cities have four or five downtowns, and that's what the built form looks like there. So, you know, we're starting to see golf simulators. We're starting to see health clinics where I I imagine we'll start to see care facilities, child care facilities, long-term care facilities, all sorts of amenities now. And the challenge is going to be whether municipal governments and their provincial uh, uh, supporters are going to be able to ease up on the restrictions that make the zoning changes more more efficient so that you can have this kind of adaptive reuse and rethinking. So bowling downtown, I'm telling you guys, we're going to be doing stuff like that. And we're going to remind ourselves the Petula Clark adage, you know, when you were alone and life was making you lonely, you can always go downtown. That's the kind of level of attraction. So downtown is attraction, and it's a challenge for all of us to figure that out. There's going to be lots of business opportunities. You're already seeing it. Your Hudson Bay building is going to be a beacon of this, and uh, it's really great to see the partnerships that are developing. And yes, there'll be bumps in the road, and it's never going to be easy, but this kind of repurposing was already starting before the pandemic. And before we let you go, just have to ask you, because of stuff like crime, uh, there will always be, whenever we talk about downtown and the importance of, you know, making sure that our downtown thrives, not just survives, uh, we always will hear people say, downtown's a cesspool, I never go downtown, I'm never going downtown again. So do we just sort of give up on those folks and try to focus on on those who are supportive, or, or, or is there a way to sway that kind of opinion? You know, safest street is the busy street. You know, the safest street is one that has lots of people on it, lots of eyes on the street. And so the strategy we all need to be taking, you don't want to just, uh, you can't take decades of investment and write it off and say, oh, well, there we go, give up on that. You look, look how well that worked out for U.S. cities caused by a different set of circumstances when they had uh, people moving out of downtown. What happened and what we can look to the U.S. as an inspiration for is when you invest in downtown, people come back. So what we need are more residential opportunities, more uh, alternate kinds of arrangements for families, for people that want to live in more of a shared environment. Maybe we're going to move some post-secondary student residences into downtown. So I think the strategy is much more additive. Don't spend too much time limiting about how difficult it is now. Think about, you know, it's like what's the antidote to being cold, she says in Ottawa, shivering, is add heat. That's the urban interventions we need. What do we need to add into downtowns to recreate the vitality, to recreate those kinds of senses of destination? And the public safety and the community uh, health uh, uh, challenges that we're experiencing are going to be remedied by that kind of level of investment. So you invest in downtown, you invest in those kinds of broad range of services and amenities. Yeah, look at it as the, op- the opportunity that, that it genuinely is for a lot of folks. That's all the time we have. Mary, will, will you join us again sometime? This is great. Love to. Love to. Delighted to meet both of you, and uh, I wish you a great day. All right, Mary Rowe with the Canadian Urban Institute president and CEO. By the way, Mary, it uh, I know minus two isn't great, but it's minus eight here in Winnipeg. So it could be worse. It could always be worse.